Well, good morning and welcome to the summit. I'm Brian Agavino, the lead pastor here, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. We got a great morning planned for you. We're going to be in Colossians chapter two today. If uh, you have a Bible, love for you to go there. We're going to be really just hovering in one verse, and uh, you can also go to the summitstl.info. We have all the information there. What's going on in the sermon? If you click on sermons, there'll be a sermon notes tab, and show you everything we're going to be diving into today. Let me read our verses, and then we'll pray. Paul wrote this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. One more time, I want to read it again. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What's something that after you do it once... You know how to do it every time thereafter. Tie your shoes. Tie your shoes. Good one. Yeah. What else? Breathe. Okay, good. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, now it's getting out of control. Just take it from there. Ride a bike. Thank you, Tanya. Ride a bike is one of the things that we say, we have this phrase in our language, right? Once you do it once, then you know how to always do it. Do you remember when you first learned how to ride a bike? This is when I first learned how to ride a bike. That is me. 1980. Look at those socks. Look at the socks. That's what I'm saying, right? That is 1980 all over it. Banana seat. That's the day we took off the training wheels right there. That is the day we took off the training wheels. Legs are the same size. That's right. That's exactly what Dondra said. She said, your legs, they're the... The phrase, it's like riding a bike, it's used to describe that activity or skill that once you learned, it becomes so ingrained that it can easily and naturally be performed again. Even if it's after a really long period of time of not doing it, it's often this phrase, it's like riding a bike, used to reassure someone that even if it's been a while, it's something that will come naturally to you. It's something that you can still do well. In other words, it implies that the skill is not easily forgotten and can be picked up again effortlessly. It's like riding a bike. We're in the midst of a vision series. We're looking at the three pillars of our mission statement. Family of grace, believing the gospel, becoming the gospel. And today we're going to be talking about believing the gospel. One problem that we face in our mission when we talk about it, when we use that phraseology, believing the gospel, for all of us, myself included, is that often we think of believing the gospel as a one-time event in our life. 
that what I did was, when I had that moment of becoming a Christian, when I started following Jesus, that's when I believed the gospel. It's when I started my relationship with God. And then what happens after that is for many of us, we try to stop doing bad things. Stop being mean. Stop lying. Stop lusting. Stop overeating. Stop being a bad parent. Stop being greedy. Stop coveting. And that will make you a good Christian. Or we think if we just believe more, if I just think about Jesus more, if I just understand more, if I just have more faith, I'll be a good Christian. And the reality is those strategies have a shortcoming to them. What's crazy to me about my own journey, and I would argue many of yours, is that we don't practice the very thing that brought us into a relationship with God. You see, the way God designed the Christian life was the very thing that gained us entrance into the Christian life is the very thing that helps us to maintain the Christian life. The very thing that helped us gain entrance into the Christian life is what God designed for us to practice over and over to maintain, to grow, to be transformed in the Christian life. So in essence, I would say to you this morning that the Christian life is like riding a bike. Once you've done it, you know how to do it over and over and over again, no matter how long it's been since you've practiced it. And because we've done it once, we can pick it up effortlessly and enjoy. Friends, I truly believe from the depth of my soul that this sermon could radically transform some of your lives. Now, pastors get to say that, and sometimes they say it every week, but I really mean it. And I speak that from my own personal experience that when I learned the concept of what I'm about to unpack with you today, this idea of what it means to believe the gospel, is when for me, Christianity took a turn into true life. There are three sermons that I love to give, and this is one of them that I am more excited about unpacking this concept for every single one of you, believing absolutely in the sovereignty of God that he brought you here this day to hear about this practice so that you might have life. So, today we're going to tackle three words to leave it a little bit nuanced. We're going to look at the triad, the eyes, and the imagination the triad, the eyes, and the imagination. First, the triad. When I was 15, I told my camp counselor that I wanted to follow Jesus. And he said to me, his name was Randy, he said, Brian, it's easy. Repent and have faith. Repent and have faith. Confess your sins to God and put your faith in the work of Jesus. The practice of repentance and faith. Do you practice repentance and faith? Do you practice repentance and faith on a regular basis? When I ask you that question, are you immediately thinking of a time 
in the last day or week where you were before God in prayer practicing repentance and faith. It's what gained us entrance into a relationship with God, and that practice is what helps us to maintain or grow or be transformed in that relationship with God. Paul makes it very clear in Colossians verse 2, 6, he says, Therefore, as you received, so as you began, as you started your relationship with God, which was what, like Randy told me, repent and have faith, in the same way that you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. That the walk of a Christian, that the practice of a Christian, that the life, the repetitive walking of a Christian should be repentance and faith. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Mark were, repent and have faith. When Peter preached the first sermon in the, in the book of Acts, and they said, what should we do? He said, repent and have faith. That the beginning of the relationship with God, Paul now takes to another level and he says, in the same way that you receive, in the same way that you began, in the same way that you started your relationship with Jesus, that should be the practice that you see continually happen. What's really important here, because I think sometimes we miss this, is that repentance and faith belong together. They denote two aspects of a conversation that are equally essential to each other. I learned an English word today. I was reading a, a commentary about this passage, and the author taught me an English a way to understand English that I had never heard this word before. The word is synecdoche. Synecdoche. What it is, it's a figure of speech in which a part is used for the whole. So why I'm saying that is because when in Scripture we see the concept of repentance, it implies or means that it goes with faith. And when we see the word faith in Scripture, it implies or means that repentance goes along with it. An example that may help us here, it's a little silly, but if we say, if your parents buy you a car and then you go to someone this is going to make me sound old, and you say, oh, I got a new set of wheels, because I don't think kids say that, right? Blake's like, kids don't say that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> if you say, I got a new set of wheels, it implies what? The whole car. It doesn't mean you just got four tires and you have them in your garage and you're Googling over there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, these are really great. You're saying, I got a new set of wheels. It implies the whole car. When we say repentance, it implies faith. When we say faith, it implies repentance. Now, why am I making this point? What's, why even spend a little time here? Because you can't have one without the other, and that's where we get in trouble. Some of us think, what God wants from me is repentance. So we say, I'm sorry, and we just try to stop doing it. That that's what it means when I find or see or experience sin in my life. And many of us, probably in all sincerity, would say, I've seen little change when all I've done is tell God I'm sorry. And yet there are some of us who think, if I just have faith, if I just trust, if, if I do something that's religious, like go to church or read my Bible, then I'll be good. And we never change. It's because... For many of us, we, we separate this idea of repentance and faith. We don't see it as a synecdoche, that they go together, that they have to be together. Maybe another way to illustrate that is it's like a coin. When you have a coin, yes, there are two distinct sides, but they're not meant to be separated. They're meant to go together. 
You can't just have heads or tails. You have both. So what I want to do here is unpack a little bit what repentance and faith are. I'm I'm actually going to look at them individually, which goes against the point I was just making, but show you how they go together. So I'm going to unpack repentance. What is biblical repentance? And we're going to unpack biblical faith, and I'll show you how beautifully intertwined they are together. So we're going to look at the triad of repentance, the triad of faith, and then we'll show how repentance and faith make a beautiful triad together. So there are three aspects to the repentance triad. There's sorrow for, belief about, and turning from. Repentance, repentance of my sin, it involves a sorrow. You know, we've all had that experience as kids when we got in trouble or busted or something went wrong and our parents said, say you're sorry. And we said, sorry. And then they said, no, say it like you mean it. And we said, sorry. And then they said, okay, you're good. Now go to your room and it'll all change and you'll be done, right? That's not what we mean by sorrow here. Sorrow has this sense of this sincerity and authenticity to it. That, that I've recognized that, that my anger, that my lust, that my pride, that my hatred, that my self-righteousness, that something in me, that I'm sorrowful about it, that it's grieving God in some way. Repentance has these three aspects to it. It begins with a sorrow. And then the second thing that we see is it involves a belief about sin, an agreement that if I give into or have given into lust or pride or racism or arrogance or selfishness or lying or envy... It's an understanding and agreement with God that these things are not good for me. It's a belief about what those things are. And in that belief about it, there's a renouncing of it, a saying that these things are not good for me. They're not going to bring life, which leads to the third thing. And I create these as a triad because it's not necessarily in order to them. They all go together. But the third aspect here is a turning to there, there's, there's, and this is such a critical part of repentance. If, if all we do is feel sorry, it doesn't necessarily create the opportunity for change. If all we do is acknowledge that this sin is something against God, it doesn't necessarily create the opportunity for change. But when we have those two things together, which then stirs in us the desire to, to turn from it, to turn from that sin, that, that I'm recognizing that eating at the table of pride, eating at the table of selfishness, eating at the table of anger, that there's something about being at this place that I want to turn from it, that there's turning from this. That's what repentance has, which then leads us to faith. Repentance and faith have to go together because we have to turn from something to something. So the faith triad as well has three aspects to it. There's hopeful in, belief with, and turning to. So and you'll start to see how these things go together. Faith is being hopeful. There's an assurance. It's not a wish, but there's a hopeful belief and understanding and grasping of the forgiveness that God offers me in Christ. 
There's a hopeful assurance. So there is a sorrow in repentance, but also along with that sorrow, there is hopefulness. The second aspect we see is that it's a belief with. So you'll notice that I said in repentance, there's a belief about my sin, but it's a belief about my sin with God's belief. That that I'm looking to his truth, to his understanding, how he views sin. And, And I'm joining with God in an understanding of what he says will bring life, what he says is good for me. And this is where the turning from comes in, where I'm turning from something. The third aspect of faith is my faith is turning to something. I'm turning to Jesus. I'm turning to Jesus to give me what I thought that my sin would provide. So if I was looking for acceptance or approval or riches, and that was leading me to sin, I'm turning to how Jesus provides those things for me. So what is the triad of repentance and faith? It's hopeful sorrow. It's belief with and about. It's turning from and turning to. It's flashing. Are we all seeing this flashing? We can call it out right now. Um, they're working on it. So, but stay with me here, because this is, this is what we need to see in order to understand what repentance and faith is. That repentance has this act, aspect of sorrow and hope. Belief with and belief about And then this turning from and turning to. And if any of those aspects of faith and repentance are missing, it's going to lead us to emptiness. My friends, this is what happened when you started your walk with Christ. This very practice, there was sorrow for your sin, belief about your sin, and then a turning from your sin to a hope in forgiveness to a belief with God about sin, and then a turning to Jesus. That's the picture of repentance and faith. So, what does that look like? What does that look like? The eyes. The eyes. Here's what we need to do. We need to see things differently. We need to see things differently. Repentance and faith are built on the confidence of an unseen God and not on the visible consumables our age offers us in this life. One more time. Repentance and faith are built on the confidence of an unseen God and not on the visible consumables that this life offers us. By faith in and of itself, is, it means it implies a confidence in unseen spiritual realities. Have you ever considered how much Scripture talks about seeing the unseen? Let me just give you a few of the verses here. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul wrote, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So we're looking here at how often Scripture tells us to look to the unseen things, to see things differently than what we see here on earth. The second, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, Paul wrote this, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11:1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
Romans 8, 24 and 25 says, For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And Jesus in John 20, verse 29, he wrote this, Blessed, or said this, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That there's something about this call, about seeing, about understanding, about thinking about the unseen things of God, that when we look outside of ourselves and we look beyond ourselves to the things that we can see here, but the unseen things, that somehow this is what brings us life. Kevin Van Hooser, an author and theologian, he wrote this, The life of faith is about comprehending astonishing spiritual realities, which requires a robust eschatological or just an imagining, a faith-based seeing which perceives our union with Christ. The life of faith is about comprehending the whole when we can only see a fraction. Part of the reason we've start, stopped practicing the very thing that brought us into a relationship with Jesus is we've turned our eyes to other things. Those other things might not be bad in, in and of themselves, but they could be leading us away from the Father. And this is where repentance and faith come together. It's an important principle we have to understand, and it's this, that repentance and faith are not a behavioral category. They're a relational category. You see, what, what, what repentance and faith are, we, we think so much about them in this context of, I want to act the right way, I want to do the right things, I want to be the right kind of person. But when repentance and faith, what the reason why God says practice it this way is because what happened at the moment of our first act of repentance and faith is what? We started a relationship. Were we perfect then? In God's eyes we were, yes, but in, in practically were we perfect? No. And does he want to change those things in us? Absolutely. But what he's interested in is that relationship with him. And so repentance and faith do what? They invite us into that relationship. They help us to see the unseen God in a beautiful and realistic way. My friends, where did the idea come from that we're in the business of changing and reforming ourselves and saving ourselves. When we had Genesis, right? That, that's what they said. We can do this. We got this. It is the very thing that brought the whole fall of the world into our lives. Repentance and faith. The hope for us this morning is that they're not about figuring it all out understanding your sin in some methodology to speak eloquently about the nature of your sin. It's about encountering the creator of the world. That's what repentance and faith is about. We need eyes to see the unseen God. So as we learn to put into practice this triad of repentance and faith and then Ask God to give us eyes to see the unseen. I want to give you just a super practical way to help your eyes see things differently. And that leads us to our third point this morning, which is this. We need our imaginations to run wild with the gospel. We have to let our minds 
ponder, reflect, dream, consider, mull over the power and wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you? Do do you take time to just think about all the myriad of the aspects of what it means that Christ came, lived a perfect life, died, rose again, and will return? Repentance and faith, what happens in the midst of repentance and faith is when we're learning to put our faith in Jesus, we have to let our imaginations run wild with truth here. It's based on the truth of Scripture, the truth of what we have and who we are in Christ. So what I want to do here for the last bit of this message is I want to do that. I want to ask you in this moment to enter with me. I want, I'm going to push you just a little bit. Talking about repentance and faith means nothing if we don't do it. So let's do it. Let's get on the bike here just for a second, if you will, and let's ride with Jesus and see how he transforms and changes our hearts. So can you in this moment, just for a second, think about a sin in your life from this week? something that you would agree with and about with God that would have grieved him or that isn't what he wants for you. Could be a myriad of things. Could be something you've been thinking about in this entire sermon already. Could be something small. It could be something that's been there for years and ages. But if there was a sin that you felt like you needed to come before God and see transformed or changed in your life, what would you bring to him this morning? What I want to do in these next few minutes is I want to show you or help us, not just tell you. I want, I want to invite you into a moment here where we turn our eyes to the unseen realities and we let our imaginations run wild. So the first thing... As you're thinking about this sin, the first way, there's several, many, many that I don't have time to get into this morning. We're going to do two, but I want you to think about that sin, and we're going to talk about it in this concept, the gospel expression of ownership versus exchange. So as you're thinking about that sin, I want you to, for a moment here, take that sin you're thinking about and add it to other sins that you committed this week. Maybe this month. How many do you think that would amount to? Well, because God is perfect, even if we only have one sin, when we stand before him, the Bible actually tells us that we need to take ownership for that sin. I'm wondering if some of us, as we're thinking about that sin, feel like we've done this sin too many times. It's just been too much. It's never gone away. And that God in and of himself is just going to look at us and say, I just, I'm done. You're just going to have to take ownership of this. But imagine with me, if you would, a great exchange that is offered to you. In exchange, we can only begin to grasp. 
that Jesus, who lived a perfect life, the only person in history who had ever done it, who because of that perfect life earned from God blessings beyond our imagination, blessings beyond our ability to comprehend. But instead of taking those blessings for himself, he decided to offer them to you in exchange for all of these sins that you hold, that you should take ownership of, that you committed over and over and over again, and Jesus comes up to you and he says, I'd like to offer you an exchange, an exchange that doesn't make sense. It's the exchange of rags to riches. It's the exchange of nakedness to clothed. It's the exchange of weakness for strength. It's the exchange of sins for holiness. It's the exchange that doesn't make any sense. Can you embrace just for a moment, can you let your hearts with me here in this moment just allow Jesus to take those sins from you and now to give you in exchange his blessings? Imagine standing before the creator of the world, preparing to get what you had earned, what you had to take ownership of, which should be yours. And Jesus says, I've made an exchange. For those of you who are entering into this moment with me here, I want you to press in, like, what are you feeling right now? What is your body telling you? Is it relieved? Is it peaceful? Is it less burdened? My friends, that's the step of repentance and faith. Let's do one more example if we can. As you think about your sin, sin we always commit because it gives something to us. Our sin might make us feel important. It might make us feel valued, but at a cost. Anger, it might make you feel better for a moment, but at a cost. Pride says you are better, but at a cost. As you're thinking about your sin, maybe it's a sin that no one knows about. Maybe it's a sin that you think could never be changed. Again, imagine, go with me here, imagine yourself standing before God. How would you feel? Maybe afraid, maybe powerless, maybe alone, maybe insecure, maybe worthless. Many of us have probably felt that from our earthly parents or our friends or our spouses when we sinned. We feel exposed. We feel alone. We feel unwanted. We feel devalued. We feel orphaned. But now imagine with me that God offers you something impossible when you turn to Jesus. He gives you the breathtaking privilege of not being orphaned, but being called his child, his son, his daughter. He offers this to you not at your best moment, not with your perfect report card, not having passed the test. He offers you to be called his son or daughter at your worst moment. 
He doesn't treat you like a servant. He gives you and offers you ultimate security and safety. You are his child. You are not alone. He says, call me daddy. Church, can we just for a moment let our hearts embrace that? Imagine standing before God, anticipating he will cast you out as an orphan, and Jesus saying, come home, my friend. You are now a child of God. My friends, that's repentance and faith. Just get back on the bike. There are so many realities to consider. Blame to blameless, condemned to free, lost to found, poor to rich, dead to alive, overlooked to chosen. You see, Jesus didn't break into our world to make bad people good. He broke into our world to make dead people alive. And how do we come alive every day? Well, it's like riding a bike. In the same way you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Some of you might be thinking, Brian, it's been a long time since I repented and had faith. Well, I got some great news for you. Jesus is eternally optimistic about people. Not because of you and not because of me, but because the work that he applied on the cross is that big. My friends, Jesus wants to start right where you are, not where you think you should be. Hear that one more time. I'm inviting us all to a practice of repentance and faith. Why? Because Jesus wants to start with you right where you are, not where you think, not where you hope, not where you dreamed you should be that would then earn you the right to come into the presence of God. Jesus offers you these things. He offers you this exchange at your worst moment. He offers you this exchange at your greatest weakness, at your greatest dark moment. He offers you this opportunity to be called a child of God at your weakest moment, at your shallowest, at, your, at the most struggle-filled moment. So today, my question to us, church, is will we believe the gospel? Will you repent and have faith? And tomorrow, will you practice repentance and faith? And on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, that the path to life, my friends, is the triad of repentance and faith. It's having eternal eyes to see the unseen and letting our imaginations explode with how incredible the gospel, the hope that we have in Christ, the things that we're turning from and turning to that we could never, in our greatest imagination, begin to grasp how wonderful this truth and reality is. So come. In the same way that you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, may we walk. Let's pray.
almighty and awesome God. I pray for this moment. I pray that you would lead us into a life of repentance and faith. Father, may we be a people whose willingness to see the gravity of our sin be equally combined with a wonder for how majestic the gospel and the message of Jesus truly is. Might you lead us on that path through our lives. Might we be a people who repent and believe, not just today, not just tomorrow, but until that day when you call us home. And may our imaginations get crazier and crazier with the beauty of what it means that we are now your child, that we have experienced the great exchange, that we are alive, that we are chosen, that we are blameless, that we are holy, that we are righteous, that we are yours. Oh, how we long to learn and understand and experience these things. Change our hearts, we humbly and desperately ask. In Jesus' name, amen.